Yeah, and you're just talking planning and design. We got another list of bullets just for construction. And out of that 860 miles of trail, we field designed 148 miles of trail. Um, that's putting a lot of shovel-ready projects on the landscape. Uh, and obviously, we're not building all that. We built 34 miles of trail this past year. Uh, so there's a lot of, of projects out there that uh, have funding to get to that point and are looking to unlock funding to go into construction or they got funding to go into construction. Uh, and then you dive into those numbers a bit more. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 105 will be our final episode for 2022. Overall, 2022 has been a huge success for the Trail Effect podcast, especially considering that Trail Effect moved off of Mountain Bike Radio onto its own feed this past February. Since the move, an additional 58 episodes along with bonus content has been released, which more than doubles the content released in the first year and a half of Trail Effect. Trail Effect was also fortunate to attend both the Professional Trail Builders Association Conference and the NSAA Downhill Bike Park Conference in 2022. Some of our most popular content for 2022 was the bike park episodes. We will continue to cover bike parks in 2023. Ultimately, the number one most downloaded show for 2022 was episode number 92, The Conversation with Dave Coolio Schultz, about how Dave is creating community through Missouri via trail systems and bike parks. You also may have noticed a new website for Trail Effect was launched last week. That is www.traileffectpodcast.com with the effect spelt as E-A-F-F-E-C-T. Take a look around and provide feedback if you so desire. This is a plug-and-play website of sorts via PodPage, as I am definitely not savvy in the web design world. And I am thankful that podcasts have gotten popular enough for a company to build a website service entirely based on the podcast industry. As always, ahead of all these tweaks and modifications, the main focus for Trail Effect will always be in the conversations, as the conversations are the reason for being Trail Effect. Ultimately, this podcast would not be possible without the guests and listeners, so a huge thank you is in order. Our guest for episode 105 is Mike Repiak, the Director of Planning and Design for Amba Trail Solutions. Originally, this episode was scheduled to be a 2022 year in review of all the work that Amba Trail Solutions is involved with. But with the approval of the new master plan at Rib Mountain State Park in Wausau, Wisconsin, that included 20 miles of bike-optimized and gravity-specific trails, we had to cover this first. Both Mike and I are born and based in Wisconsin, and Mike has an extensive background with this master plan. If you are a Wisconsin resident, mountain biking is definitely looking good. We also cover a ton of other work that Imba Trail Solutions is involved with nationwide, including, you guessed it, the Imba Trail Accelerator Grant Program, which has 13x the investment into trail development and construction since the program began in 2018. Grant Cardone isn't even bold enough to claim that statement. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. Trail Effect has also given back to the following organizations in 2022. The Appalachian Mountain Bike Club and their 45 and 45 campaign last spring, Aura Trails, Copper Harbor Trails Club, and 906 Adventure. 
This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.traileffectspodcast.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Mike Repiak of Imba Trail Solutions. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I got Mike Repiak. He's the Director of Planning and Design for Imba Trail Solutions. And Mike is no stranger to the podcast as he kind of was one of the people I talked to when I created this thing. Andy was on my old podcast, Real Flow Sturt, along with, check out episode number 10, where we talked about the Imba Trail Accelerator Grant that was specific to Madison, Wisconsin, which is a good one. How's it going today, Mike? Awesome. Going really good. Great to see you, Josh. We scheduled this recording before we knew what was going to happen this week in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I know why I put it on my calendar, but I had it on my calendar to watch the YouTube video, live video of the Wisconsin Natural Resources Board, which is kind of the governing body over the Wisconsin DNR. Yep. And there was a monumental thing that happened here. And let's talk about what that thing is. But before we go there, I got to set the stage. You grew up in Wisconsin. Yes. You moved away to Colorado. To work mm -hmm. for SC Group in mm -hmm. ski area and ski resort design. Yep. You came back to Wisconsin and you got a job working for Wisconsin DNR as a trails coordinator in that region of what we're going to talk about. Yep. And then you moved on from Wisconsin DNR. And we can maybe talk about that a little bit because I'm sure you were slightly frustrated like a lot of other people in Wisconsin and how they <laughs> perceive mountain biking or maybe used to perceive mountain biking because it seems like things are changing there. Yeah. And you moved on to IMBA. And then IMBA and SE Group got contracted to create this master plan for, and kind of, it was a, uh, well, it was a recreational needs assessment, right? For Rib mm -hmm. Mountain State Park, which for those that aren't familiar, Rib Mountain State Park is a state park in Wisconsin that actually has a private ski area within its boundaries, which is unique to Wisconsin because Wisconsin state parks are not like a lot of other state parks across the country. There's recreation there, but not like you'd find in other states. And so, and while it's common to have a ski area operate on public property, such as a lot of places where they do out west on National Forest Service land and that, it's really unique here in Wisconsin. So let's talk about what happened this week and the backstory and how we came to be, because this thing started almost 10 years ago now, this discussion. I went back and looked when uh, IMBA first had a touch point with Seawalk and uh, the mention of Rib Mountain uh, in a planning document that was for recommendations uh, to become a ride center around Wausau. And that was 2013 when Rib Mountain was mentioned. And uh, interesting piece there was um, that actually went a little bit sideways because uh, no one had conversations with state parks at the time and to recommend or even do planning for trails on Rib Mountain without talking to a land manager is a, a big no-no in, in this day and age. So fast forward nine years, and uh, it's been a lot of work to get here, but uh, we just got 20 miles of uh, mountain bike optimized trails approved conceptually on Rib Mountain, including lift serve gravity experiences. And uh, who would have thought that would uh, actually happen. So um, it's been a heck of a process. I've sat in a few different seats along the way, like you mentioned, uh, with the DNR. When I was working for the DNR between 2014 and tw early 2016, we started talking about planning at Rib Mountain. And uh, the property manager at the time kind of said, mountain bikes, no way, not in my lifetime. 
so we were just talking about trail improvements and uh, we were looking at the ski area expansion and uh, my boss and others in the DNR are like, well, Mike, you worked in the ski industry. So, and you know, Charles Skinner, who's the owner, the lease E of uh, uh, Grant Peak Ski Area. So it functions like any ski area out West on forest service lands. They have a lease with the state park um, and uh, it operates like, those types of ski areas. Um, you mentioned private ski area. It's, it's a public ski area. Uh, it's not a private club like Blackhawk down here in Madison. But at that time, I was starting to play around with lift alignments, working with Charles. And the, the big crux point was this, the state natural area, uh, which we can talk about later here in the process. But uh, that was really the, uh, the no-go zone. And uh, we just had a monumental decision around that this, this week, which is really cool. But uh, I spent some time at the DNR doing some designing. It went off and on in, in fits and uh, really slowed down for a bit. And where things took off, where the traction really happened was when Seawalk was advocating, Seawalk being the, the IMBA chapter, Central Wisconsin Off-Road Cyclists, Concerned Cyclists uh, in, in Wausau. They got great riding all around Wausau. We know that. Uh, but Rib Mountain's always been that area that they want to get into. But it was kind of like up in the clouds. That was the dreamy area that you want to get to. Seawalk advocating for this and then entering the Greater Wausau Prosperity Partnership, uh, GWPP. They really, with their partnerships in their name, really got things moving. Um, and that's organized through the Chamber of Commerce for the area too, with uh, Dave Ekman and Renee Krings. Um, they well connected to the business world and uh, saw the, uh, the benefit of trails to a community and uh, had the opportunity to really get uh, conversations going with the DNR. And the DNR acknowledged that they didn't have the expertise to do ski area planning or bike-optimized trail planning within their department. Because that's the most of their planning. All their planning they do statewide for the, the big regional plans they do to the property plans are all done internally. And occasionally they bring in a consultant to do some work. This one, they acknowledged they didn't have the expertise. So uh, GWPP, put out a RFP uh, for consultants to do a recreation needs assessment for Rib Mountain because the DNR said, go out, get some planning done, bring us some alternatives. Uh, we'll analyze the inter alternatives inter internally, and then we'll put out a draft master plan in or informed by the planning that you have consultants do. So SE Group and InBetrail Solutions won that RFP. And as you mentioned, Josh, I worked for SE Group for 15 years, um, historically known as snow engineering. They've been in uh, ski area planning for over 65 years now, I think it is. And uh, I worked with folks that I worked with when I was with them now uh, from the trail solution side. And it turned around quick. I think we got the contract uh, December 2020, and we had the full plan with four alternatives done by March 1st, 2021, because we had to meet a deadline to get uh, some draft plans to the DNR for review in early 21. So that was a mad scramble, but pretty awesome. The four, four alternatives went from a, a no action alternative to a improvements around the existing ski area to improvements on uh, expanded ski area to the east and to the west. To the west has that state natural area in it to an alternative four that uh, we threw a lot of spaghetti at the wall including a bike-only lift on the south side of Rib Mountain. Like, hey, we have winters now where we may not have snow on the ground. We could be operating bikes on that south side, the dry side of things. And if we do get a ton of snow, why don't we just groom it for fat biking? 
So that was the four alternatives we threw out there. And each of the alternatives, we threw an economic impact for it. Um, what does increase in visitation look like for the ski area and for the park itself? What does it do for the community? How are these viable across considering uh, uh, global warming uh, for the ski area and all their recreation then starts to roll in? So a lot went into it. Then the DNR took that plan and internally analyzed it. And through a couple of meetings with us as the consultants and GWPP, along with putting out uh, initial public input via their public scoping process, like introducing the project. They don't, they don't have the alternatives out there yet, but they want to hear from the community on opportunities and constraints, uh, concerns. You know, what does the community want there at Rib Mountain? They got all that input. And then they delivered a, a draft master plan. Uh, more public comment on that. We were able to comment on that because we're no longer directly involved in the planning and design. Phil Rymish and, and uh, John Pullman, planners of the DNR, were, were managing that process. But we had great lines of communication. They would reach out to us asking questions. They're very interested in what does the mountain biking here, what can it look like? What are you trying to achieve here? Like they're asking awesome questions. The most outreach and interface we've had with DNR planners, with externals on looking at rec alternative recreation, skiing and mountain biking. So that was a breath of fresh air. Um, and they put out the draft, reviewed on the draft, more public comment, and then came out with a, a final plan. They took more public comment on it. We saw it. We had a, a, a interface with them on a meeting that said, hey guys, here's the final. Um, here's some things that we still would like to see maybe revised or edited, maybe the, the wording of um, some things or like how it was described for that multi-use perimeter trail around the park. It read like it was going to be a, a state trail with a 12-foot wide path with major drainage and cut and fill slopes going across the ski area. Like, you're, that's not going to work. So maybe work on changing that narrative so it reads more like a natural surface trail that's shared use. And through the whole process, Josh, you heard it on the meeting on Wednesday, 6,000 6, public comments came in for this master plan. And I reached out to Phil last night. I haven't heard back from him yet because I wanted to hear about the data of those comments, like how many were supportive or opposed, how many were mountain bike related, how many were ski related, how many were hiking related, SNA related, because they tag all the comments with uh, their topic themes. And uh, it'll be interesting to hear uh, what aspects uh, were mentioned in the comments, but 6,000 comments, that's a lot for any planning anywhere, <laughs> let alone here in Wisconsin. So Natural Resources Board meeting then on, on Wednesday, it was exciting. It was a long day. Uh, how many hours were was that feed going, Josh? The yep. feed total, because there's yep. other stuff yep. on, the, on that board meeting as well. It wasn't just this master plan, um, but the feed was well over six hours. I think there is three hours of it. Yeah, there's like three hours of it on the master plan or so. Because they went through lunch. They took a lunch break. So, yeah, we had 45 people or so, I think it was, doing public testimony, three minutes each. Um, the board chair was really good, keeping people on that three minutes. Aaron Ruff went first, president of Seawalk, uh, just talking about the opportunity. Really exciting for Seawalk uh, to see trails potentially on Rib Mountain. Aaron had a great quote out of that. He has a young son. And uh, Aaron came home late from a meeting one night and his son said, oh, were you at another meeting for Nine Mile? Aaron's like, no, buddy, I, we had a meeting for Rib Mountain. And uh, his son's like, oh, up on that big hill? Yep, so, buddy, we're going to be riding bikes up there sometime. So his son even is pretty stoked on the potential for Rib Mountain. And Aaron deferred to me on a couple of questions they were asking. 
And uh, but second went Dave Ekman from GWPP talked about the the local impact of Granite Peak and the, the park and what other alternative recreation can help with economic impact. Um, then Pete Williams from SE Group. I worked with Pete for 15 years and going on since I haven't been with SE Group now for eight years. Uh, we continue to work together. Pete flew in from Utah to uh, do his public testimony, three minutes. Uh, and the board asked him a few ski related questions. And then I went forth, um, talked about the great opportunity that they have there at Rib Mountain. I uh, talked about how modern planning and design can put trails in special landscapes with a light touch on the land. Talked about how the, the ski area expansion along with trail improvements at the same time can really have amazing outcomes instead of forcing trails on top of an old ski area. Uh, so that uh, really went a long ways with the board hearing that there's going to be this collaborative nature in the design. And they followed up with a handful of questions uh, for me afterwards too. That, that was really good and interactive. It's probably the most interactive I've seen the NRB on a, a master planning testimony and uh, discussion. And then after that, we had another couple hours of testimony with folks uh, speaking from different businesses, other ski areas in the area uh, or in the region. And obviously there's some opposition to it too from the, the nearby community, but uh, a lot of the concerns are things that can be worked out through the next steps in design and implementation. And I think the, the board and DNR staff saw that really well, that this is uh, really good for the community. Charles Skinner and Charlotte Skinner. Charles is the operator of the ski resort. Uh, Charlotte, his daughter, is getting into the family business. Um, they gave great public testimony. And uh, yeah, it's it was really exciting. And the other piece that came with the meeting on Wednesday is that uh, it was identified by the GWPP and others, including us, saying um, the plan falls a little bit short. So what they did is the, the expansion to the west has one lift. Alternative three in the recreation needs assessment actually had three lifts out that way, just because of the way the terrain works, the fall lines. And ski area, acreage, and uh, visitation numbers that the resort wanted to achieve, uh, the added capacity of a few lifts out there would really be impactful. But we landed on on one lift out there, and the DNR kept that lift short of the state natural area. Uh, so that lift didn't go to the top of the mountain. Uh, it stopped uh, quite a bit short. And uh, Natural Resources Board and others from the community said, uh, we'd like to see this go to the top of the mountain. And how can that be done by crossing the SNA? So um, that got introduced as an amendment to the plan and got approved. A lot of discussion around the SNA on uh, spanning it with the lift. Um, no mechanized ski trail construction in the SNA. And uh, we have the opportunity to have mountain bike trails going across the SNA, not necessarily within the entire SNA. But uh, we talked about how you can carefully place trails through sensitive landscapes and as long as we're working side by side with the resource specialist so we know what we're getting into and what we should really be avoiding and how our construction techniques can make sure we're providing experience through that. Uh, the best way for mitigation, environmental impact mitigation in a landscape is trails because you're providing a route for, for folks to go through an area rather than spider webbing across the, the whole area. All in all, huge success for the mountain bike community in the state and regionally, even potentially nationally. This could be leading towards Wausau even being a bigger destination. So uh, super exciting. I got so many places to go with this. 
But I know we have other things to talk about as well. There's a couple of things I want to quick hit on with this before we go off of that. Yeah. One is you keep talking about this partnership with, I think you call it the GNPP? GWPP. GWPP. Greater Wausau Prosperity Partnership. Yeah. So, and I want to highlight this because I, and I will admit that I have limited experience with Chamber of Commerce. When I've dealt, when I've had the fortunate opportunity to deal with the Chamber of Commerce in my community, they were focused on hiring marketing companies to market something that maybe the region already has. And myself and others pushed back on that because we're like, hey, like what we have is good, but wouldn't it be better to fund actual more infrastructure, whatever that infrastructure is? Maybe it's, and maybe it's even art type stuff or other things. Because in today's world, when you have a high quality product, it, t- it tends to market itself. People come and people see it and and it tends to market itself. And, and I think we've seen that pretty heavily in other regions. So the importance of a chamber of commerce leaning into actual infrastructure to make their community better. Let's talk about that briefly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're seeing it across the U.S. Um, this shift in uh, not just working with the land manager to getting trails in a plan and designed and built, but working with these partnerships, the private public partnerships to to make it happen. And uh, Chamber of Commerce, visitors bureaus, those organizations see now what trails do for communities. And we point them to the models of obviously Bentonville, Hot Springs, Arkansas is another one that was fully funded by their visitors bureau for the planning and design, which then unlocked other funding to, to build it. So this here in Wausau, you look at the list of partners between healthcare, banks, hoteliers, construction companies, Cheese Corporation, Marathon County. There's a list of partners there that acknowledge that trails improve the health and wellness of a community, that they attract uh, young professionals to come work in their community, uh, attract a wide demographic of folks to come and, and work in your community. And that has been leveraged to say, hey, we are in this together and we want to work with you, uh, the state parks and DNR to make this a reality. And uh, this is for the, the impact, greater impact for community and region that helps when you have maybe a vocal minority against a project. Josh, you know that as well as anybody else, um, that vocal minority typically afterwards are like a year into the project being built. They're like, oh, this stuff's great. We love this. Why were we against this? So the that partnership is really, really healthy. Yeah, and now we're going to go into the testimony that came forth, because I think that was one of the biggest positives that came out of the meeting was the fact that, and this was said by a handful of the board members of the NRB, which is you had all those different partners you just listed, large business owners. I I think Green Heck Fan employs like 2,500 people in that, in that region, but they're, Mm -hmm. but they're a nationwide company, you know? Yep. And so you had, you had restaurant owners, like you said, you had hotel owners, you had managers, you had, you know, large, I mean, I, I equate that to where I live for the people that are familiar with lacrosse is if like quick trip came and spoke out at a meeting like this, or the mm-hmm. president or CEO of a local health institution came out and spoke on this. Cause we have those same large employers where I live, but we don't hear from those people by and large because, and this might come off as a little negative, but I, I want this to be positive. Because our local convention and visitors bureau and our local chamber of commerce isn't quite as progressive as what we're talking about here. 
which mm-hmm. is a really good thing. And it rippled beyond just the Wausau area. You know, we had Randy from Smith's Bike Shop. She testified uh, and pointed out examples from lacrosse. We had Trek very much engaged in um, their retail stores to uh, say, hey, this project is impactful for all of us statewide. So that, that was really neat to see. And when you look at the list of those who testified and what who they affiliated with out of those 45 testimonies, either on Zoom or in person, it looked like two thirds or more were part of that partnership and all for the project. Before we move on from this, let's talk about the positive comments at the end by the, by the DNR board members, like, and the fact that one of them, Dr. I think it was Dr. Preen. Yeah. Frederick Preen. He cited Steamboat as an example as to how mountain biking at Steamboat is incredible. I just about fell out of my chair. And I'm not even kidding <laughs> you. Like when he said that, I was like, is this the Wisconsin DNR? <laughs> yeah. Um, positive comments from the NRB. Um, again, it was the most I've seen them really interact on a project. Great feedback. Uh, the NRB, they spoke highly and all, a lot of the testimonials too, spoke highly of the work that the DNR planning staff did. You know, most a lot of times you just hear people griping about DNR staff. You know, this is accolades for how great the DNR staff managed the process, was very thoughtful through it all, and acknowledged it was a huge lift with a lot of input. 6,000 comments, my goodness. Um, the NRB was also impressed with the, the partnerships that WASA presented there, the collaborations, the outreach, uh, even just commented on how great the presentations were. Uh, so that, that was really great to see. And uh, they spoke to how they saw Granite Peak ski area, their openness and their genuine concern for the community. You know, that went a huge way with the NRB. And they were asking a lot of great questions of myself and other experts. Um, they wanted to really learn about the next steps. You know, the, the, at the end there, Josh, you heard they were debating a bit on what other teeth can they put into this approval to make sure things were done environmentally, um, sustain, or socially, fiscally sustainable. I brought that up in my, my testimony, those three lenses of sustainability. And one of the board members asked about social sustainability. They had not quite heard that before. So they were really appreciative of the insights that we're giving on that. And then they kind of backed off of saying, like, we're going to put certain teeth into this amendment. Um, they're like, well, we understand that the process, the next steps in design and implementation, the DNR is still going to do its job. And we're not going to go and mow down that whole SNA. Um, but we're in a state park here. They, they Acknowledge, you know, Peter Biermeyer, who used to work for state parks, he now is a consultant in, in this realm. And uh, he's always pointed out that this is a park. Recreation is part of parks. Yes, there's a conservation piece of it too, but we want to get people into these properties. And we heard that from the NRB. That was really exciting. Yeah, that was good. And, and kind of for, we have a lot of listeners that are, are not in Wisconsin. Like the yeah. landscape of mountain biking in state parks is pretty sparse. When it comes to, you know, just allowing mountain biking in state parks, we're going to talk about another state park here that has it, but yep. by and large, it hasn't, it hasn't really been an accepted recreational use, but times are changing. Times are changing. And, uh, you looked at how the DNR has listed types of trails and, uh, the bike optimized piece is what's been missing. Uh, the double track trail out there had been listing listed as, you know, four bikes. Well, that's not the experience necessarily that bikers are looking for. Maybe it's that uh, touring bike or older generation or family that is just throwing their regular Walmart bikes on the back of their 
bike rack and they go roll to a state park. And part of it's we're going to do the perimeter grassy trail. And that's kind of where things have been within DNR for a long time. But uh, in the past, even six years, things have been slowly changing. And now I think we're seeing some great momentum amongst what happened at Rib Mountain just now. But we got Blue Mound. We got Hartman Creek. We got uh, Nick State Park. Um, we have uh, uh, Nuglaris Woods State Park. At just this week, the day before the NRB meeting, uh, I went out and did a site visit at Nuglaris Woods State Park and started looking at doing a conceptual trails plan for that park, which I've never been there. It's only 30 minutes out of Madison. Really cool spot. There's awesome opportunity there. And why hadn't you been there? There was no draw for me to go there. There's no trails. There's there's uh, uh, some hiking trails there. There's some camping there. It's a really underutilized park. And uh, they're full up in the summer with campsites, but there's really nothing else going on. There's a whole couple hundred acres to the south of the property. There's, there's some double track trail. Some of it's fall line. Uh, some of it's off camber. It's hiking trail. Uh, but you walk those woods, you're like, wow, this has great potential. Now, all of Madison, all of southern Wisconsin, a couple of years from now, hopefully we'll know this park because there's going to be maybe 10 miles of bike optimized trail. In it. Yeah. And we're going through uh, the start of a master planning process here in my region. I think it's the, the coolies and ridges or something master plan. They named it. It's basically mm-hmm. a different name that really just outlines the driftless region. Right. Yep. And that's where I got to meet Phil for the first time because Phil oh, yeah. came to the DNR office, which happens to be the same office that I'm in to do an open house about the first step of this master plan. And I'm glad, to, I, I'm glad that he's, he was inv- as involved with this rib mountain plan because I didn't, I didn't know he was that involved cause I didn't know him, but he yep. got kind of bombarded by mountain bikers and specifically people from aura at our, at our office. And, and he, that was a good thing to see. And I was a little skeptical, but after hearing him talk on Wednesday, I was that that changed a lot. And like you, I reached out to him actually the same day as that meeting. And I just said, thank you. You know, as a government employee, you know this. Thank yous don't come mm-hmm. often. People mm-hmm. get a hold of you because they want to want you to fix something. And so and I, I know the value of that. And so I just reached out and simply and simply said thank you. I thanked him for his professionalism and his openness and and the way he presented himself at that meeting because it was really awesome. It was really good. It was it was great to see. Yeah. Let's move on to the rest of Wisconsin because you have a lot of stuff going on in Wisconsin. We are going to get across the country and we're going to do it in a quick amount of time here. But in Wisconsin, yeah, I might take some criticism since I'm like, um, you know, I manage projects all across the U.S. or I I manage the staff that are doing projects all over the U.S. But because I'm here in Wisconsin and all of us in Imba, we have some of our projects nearby because we're we're experts, we're the advocates in our communities, so things kind of spin out. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on in Wisconsin right now. It's really exciting. Well, I mean, and for those that don't know, Wisconsin has been a huge state in terms of mountain bike racing, but has not been a huge state in terms of access specifically on state land. It's, I've often said that if it wasn't for local municipalities, county parks, and national forests, we wouldn't really have mountain biking in Wisconsin at this point, you Mm -hmm. know, because that's primarily where a lot of our mountain biking happens and on private land as well. Yep. You look at the history of the state in the cycling industry and advocacy, it goes deep. I think in, I might not have it quite totally right, but I think the American Wheelman started in Wisconsin in the late 1800s or something like that. So there's a long history. And then you add an industry of Trek and Saris and Planet Bike and the list goes on. Hayes, others. 
Well, and Schwinn, and on that note, you know, you were talking about, we're, we're, I'm going to keep this brief. You were talking about, you know, double track. Wisconsin was the leader in rails and trails. Like we, mm-hmm. we, we, pay, I don't want, I don't want to say paved the path because they're not paved, but we literally paved the way when it comes to rail trails in the country. And now you have States trying to catch up to us. And we had, we were doing that in that seventies and eighties and maybe before, you know, you'd yeah. know better than me. Yeah. Yeah. El Rey Sparta trail being one of the first or the first uh, rail to trail. Um, we've led the way for a lot of states and total could be another conversation, but uh, Wisconsin now is a bit behind a lot of states. Our ranking in uh, states for being bike friendly went from three. And I think we're down now to like 37. Yeah, don't even get me started there because that has to do with my <laughs> other line of work. And I've, I know, I know. <laughs> I've been called a mole in the office where I work because I'm pushing uh, bike pet infrastructure wherever I can, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So back to Wisconsin mountain biking. Yeah. Let's talk about Blue Mountain quick first, because you already brought it up and Rock Salad has been there building this year. So let's quick, like, let people know what's happening at Blue Mound and what Blue Mound was, and then we'll get into Madison and then we'll go north after that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, Blue Mound, it's been, mountain biking's been there for close to 20 years, I think. It's always been known as that rocky, techie, chew up your tires. You're going to, you always break something when you go to Blue Mound. It had that reputation of just rugged and gnarly. and Guys like you and I, Josh, obviously, we love that stuff, uh, but it doesn't grill the sport. It's uh, only 45 minutes out of Madison. It's on its way to Dodgeville and other locations that don't have a big cycling scene. And part of it's because Blue Mound just uh, was a tough place to enter in. And while I was at the DNR, we started planning for improvements there and other master plan process for Blue Mound. And we don't need to get into that storied history of um, the plan being uh, approved, but then litigated. It's been litigated a few times um, or a couple times. But in the past year and a half, two years, the mountain bike aspect of the master plan had been separated from all the other things that were causing some grief. So Corp, Capital Off-Road Pathfinders, has been allowed to move forward with implementing trails at Blue Mountain. So I helped out with some schematic design there. Uh, we did some DNR master planning support. And then we assisted with the construction bid package with, with Corp. And that, that project went out to bid this past spring. Uh, I think it went to three or four contractors and Rock Solid got the, the award. And uh, this is where Corp and the land manager and the friends of Blue Mound, they have a lot of, uh, they put funding into this. The friends did a great job there. Um, overall at the park, they funded Splash Pad and Nordic Trail Improvements and many other things. They actually hired the the company that came with the highest bid because they acknowledged the quality. One thing that we're seeing throughout municipalities or state agencies is making sure that we're able to get quality bids, quality builders, and not just taking lowest bid. And we struggle with that in some states, but uh, here they're able to select Rock Solid and they started building uh, late summer, early fall. And uh, I haven't gotten out there yet. haven't had a chance to, to ride it, but rave reviews and the, Reason behind some of these trail projects is to make it more accessible for beginner and lower intermediate riders because they have NICA teams out there nearby. They want to have a place where they can get some of the, the newer riders in there and not be intimidated by the texture of the rocks out there and uh, doing it in a way that's really aesthetically amazing. Uh, the trail tread is awesome and uh, there's more work to be done out there. But really exciting for Blue Mound to go from a place that was just known to be 
rough and rugged to uh, now we're going to see more folks riding in that, that zone. Yeah. And let's move on to Madison with, you know, I'd mentioned at the beginning in the intro that we recorded episode number 10, which was the Madison Tech Project. Mm -hmm. And with that, you call it shred to school. I call it rad routes to school, but it's all the same thing. Yep. Yep. That was just built by rock solid as well. Or some of that was. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a bunch of projects in Wisconsin planning and design that rock solid came in and built, I think five or six projects in the state this past summer, which is really exciting. Um, And we teamed up with our build teams on one of them too, that we can talk about up North, but um, yeah, the Madison tag project, when we talked about it a, a few years ago, was a community-wide feasibility study. We identified five priority projects out of that. One of them was Aldo Leopold Park uh, along the Cannonball commuter path next to Aldo Leopold School. We did a concept plan for the overall park that showed pump track, skills loop, a couple little gravity trails off of the sledding hill, this parallel route alongside the Cannonball path that we were starting to call the Shred to School Trail. And uh, we first did the design and bid package for the pump track, which Vela Solutions built last year. And then uh, we started designing the Shred to School Trail and talked about Chip Seal Trail there because we're seeing that being used around Bentonville. Rock Solid yet had, had done, has not done Chip Seal up in the Northern States yet, but we talked about it a lot with Aaron and uh, said, yeah, this would be a great project to try out Chip Seal, mainly because we're in an urban setting with a lot of new riders. And when we get into freeze thaw or inclement weather in the summer, we know we're going to have people riding it. We need to make sure that we're putting a surface in there that can be resilient to that, uh, that then teaches people about uh, riding etiquette and when to be riding, when not to be riding. So the Chip Seal Trail transitions to a limestone uh, crush trail to then some natural surface trails. Uh, but the, the chip seal trail itself to be looped and sessioned is uh, close to a mile. And uh, that we designed over the past uh, 18 months and put it out to bid, rock solid, got that, that bid, started building late summer, early fall. And uh, that is really neat to see so far. Um, they did the second layer of the chip seal with uh, crushed granite, so the red color. Uh, fits in well with the landscape around it. And I'm really excited to see how it weathers over the winter and rides in the spring, but already getting rave reviews from that. And it rides much like, uh, not necessarily Leopard Loop, because it don't have the the vertical like it does in in Bentonville on that one. It's similar to Mama Bear over uh, by A Street Market, but it's kids are all over it already. So that's really excited. And we're rolling into uh, three other priority projects across Madison for uh, design work over the winter and construction in the next coming years. Let's go North. Yeah. I'm rushing us along, but there's, we could talk for hours. Like literally this could be like an Aaron Peterson four hour show. Yeah. Yeah. I think I gave you what 30 bullet points on, or maybe not 30, 20 bullet points on projects in Wisconsin. Yeah. So we're going to move to Marinette County because this is another project that has a bunch of potential and a bunch of planning, but also had a, had over 10 miles built this summer by both Amber Trail Solutions and Rock Solid? Yeah. That project, man, oh man, I think I'm still catching my breath from it. Might be the fastest project that we turned around to get to 10 miles of trail built. So Marinette County in early, so early 21, uh, Marinette County got ARPA funding, American Recovery Act uh, funding. They got $7 million. They carved out a million dollars for mountain bike trails. 
the local IMBA chapter there, Mamba, Marinette Area Mountain Bike Association, they've been advocating for trails in Marinette County for a long time. Just didn't have the funding to really make it happen for the county to, to buy into it. And they're trying to identify some properties. Well, the county got that funding, put out a RFP for planning and design and construction. And uh, we partnered with Rock Solid on that uh, proposal where Trail Solutions was going to take the lead on planning and design and work with Rock Solid to be added construction capacity. And so we navigated through the summer just talking about the project. You know, we like to do planning and design in the fall or spring or over the winter if there's not a lot of snow. So the leaf off condition. So uh, we got out there late October 21 for our first site visit. And the area of interest is between McClintock County Park, Goodman Park County Park to the north, Peshigo River to the east, and then a couple county roads to the west. That area encircles 5,000 acres of beautiful forest. Um, just great timber management in there, clean, like no understory, no invasives whatsoever. So that's going to be part of our uh, messaging as we get into opening up the trails. Just a really cool spot that has glacial erratics everywhere, eskers, moraines, uh, just really neat uh, post-glacial landscape. So we get in there at 5,000 acres, and we come away with a 50-mile trail plan that we delivered in early February. That trail plan has 10 different zones that range from uh, more dense trails adjacent to the, the parks that are there now, to backcountry connectivity to other zones where there's progression of beginner through uh, advanced trails, uh, smooth and flowy to Rocky Tech. And, and uh, we identified zone eight as our zone that we want to go into and design because it's standalone that then has easy connectivity to the other parks. We can do a new trailhead. We could have progression from beginner to advanced trails. And it fits pretty well into the build budget that we had. And we could get the permitting done in fairly quick order because uh, we knew where wetlands were, we knew where drainages were, it's not as wet as other zones. Uh, so the stormwater permitting was gonna be pretty straightforward. We had one little hiccup with the little little goblin moonwort that we had to go and survey for, but we got that survey taken care of. But we designed that 17 mile zone in the spring and we had a little bit of extra time there. So we actually ended up flagging 32 miles of trail with a team of six that we had out there, three from Rock Solid, three from Trail Solutions. Uh, so we, we flagged in some of the connectivity to the other parks. We then said, what can we build in zone eight as our phase one with the funding? And we identified 10 and a half miles of the trail. So we designed in May, we were building by middle of July. And from middle of July to middle of October, four teams built 10 and a half miles of trail from exactly what I mentioned earlier, beginner flow to Rocky Tech, advanced Rocky Tech with a a signature rock solid hub in there. Um, nothing like the castle that they had just done down in Arkansas, but a really cool spot. And uh, that's what we did a soft opening on this uh, this fall. Got to ride it a couple times. And uh, we did 10 miles of trail in less than a year from vision to trail on the ground, uh, record pace. So pretty exciting. Over the winter, we're going to work on the, the signage plan, get that installed in the spring and do a grand opening uh, sometime this spring. Yeah. And that's, that's super exciting again for Wisconsin because it's Wisconsin's finally coming online as being an awesome trail state, we, which we knew it could be this whole time. Oh yeah. 
and now you guys are making it happen. And I'm glad to see that a county decided to take a, take advantage of some of the ARPA funds for that, you know, because that's, you know, that's, I, I, I've preached it in this podcast, I don't know how many times, but when you, when you have plans that are ready to go, you never know when funds like this are going to come available. So to have some sort of planning going, because the, the opportunity or the, the reality that a plan could come together as quick as you just explained it for every place is pretty slim. Very slim. Um, but planning, we know this for a fact from our trail accelerator grant um, program, planning unlocks local funding. So while this one came with funding right up front, um, if you can fund for a plan, that usually leads to more funding uh, to get projects done. And here now they have proof of concept. They got trails on the ground. We have another 40 miles of trail in a plan. We have another, well, sorry, 22 miles that we've designed. So the Local IMBA chapter, Mamba, is going out and starting a fundraising uh, discussion with big businesses in the area, Marinette Marine being one of them, a few other businesses that uh, will see the impact of this. And they want to fund to be able to build out the rest of Zone 8. So we got 17 miles in that zone. So let's build another six and a half miles uh, and then continue along the way. We did a trail build school for Mamba as we were wrapping up there. And we identified, I think it's about four miles of trail that they're going to start working on building. One is an internal, another beginner trail. In that 10 and a half miles, but then a three mile connection over to Goodman County or sorry, McClintock County Park, uh, which is really going to be fun. I, I've solo flagged that one. It goes through some really cool landscape on terrain that's going to be totally appropriate for begin or volunteers to go out and build. Um, it's it's going to be really neat. And it's a, it's a location where it's a trail desert in Wisconsin, Marinette County, you know, hour and a half north of Green Bay on the way to Marquette. Um, there's not any riding really going on there. This is now going to be a destination for folks to stop at for a day before they make it all the way up to Marquette. And as it grows, it might just be a destination that they stop and ride at instead of going to Marquette. Yeah. And a little side note on on that topic. I drive through Wausau every time I go to Marquette and every time I go to Copper Harbor and I go to those places frequently in the summer. And so yeah. that'll be another bonus on those trips. Definitely. But there's actually more population, like you just said, there's more population heading north and there's more population on the east side of the state that would potentially head north. And I shouldn't even say the east side of the state because you also have south of that, you have the Chicago region, yep. you know, which is another uh, huge population center that travels up into Wisconsin for mountain biking and, and I think everything else. Yep. And while there's not a whole lot of population around this trail network, and it's going to be called the Strong Falls Trail Network. Waterfalls are all over uh, Marinette County across the Peshko River. They have a really cool waterfall tour that they market. And uh, the falls that are at Goodman County Park are called Strong Falls. So it was the volunteer group during the trail build school. They're working alongside county staff who are tra getting trained up at the same time. And they're brainstorming ideas for the, the name of the trails. And they're going to call it Strong, Strong Falls. So we're going to work on some branding around that and some trail maps for that. But... There's not a big community around there, but there is a community. There's a couple of uh, guys that I was riding with. They're in their early 20s. And they're like, you know what? This, what? this network here makes it worthwhile living here now. Like we go ride Marquette maybe three or four times a year. Uh, and that's the only time we ride. But now we got this just 15 minutes from our homes. We are really excited to be able to be riding more often. Yeah. Well, let's move out of Wisconsin. We spent the last yeah. 45 minutes in Wisconsin, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on. Although I will say over a quarter of the miles that you guys built for Emba in 2022 happened to be in Wisconsin. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. pretty exciting. But let's move on out to the nationwide work that you guys have been doing because, and we're going to kick that off with 
you know, for a handful of years, you guys did Amba Trail Labs in Bentonville, which was awesome. It's located in the middle part of the country. Obviously, the landscape there and the trails there really provide what, you know, what can happen in a community for people that attend that. But you moved it out west to Cedar City, Utah in the fall. I think I think that was in uh, mid-October, if I remember correctly. Yep, correct. Let's uh, yeah. let's talk about how that went, and then we'll move out to, on to some other stuff. Absolutely. Uh, this is a really great trails labs, um, different setting, obviously, Bentonville to uh, Cedar city, very different. And the, the biggest piece is that it's sitting in a, a federal landscape, public lands of uh, the Bureau of land management uh, versus a urban setting with city property or private lands. So it was uh, a great setting to talk about how trails can come about in a Western landscape with federal partners. And we have some great partners there in Cedar City with the BLM, Iron Trailcraft, which is the IMBA chapter there, with the NICA team there, the Iron Giants, uh, the bike shops that are there, the, the city uh, municipality have all been partners along the way. And uh, we wrapped up the Trails Labs with a panel with representatives from each and, and talked about how it happened. Um, we've been doing planning in Cedar City for over uh, eight years. And we've been building there for about five years. Uh, the planning just around Cedar City is over 100 miles of trail. We've built 32 miles of trail so far. So we were able to take this almost as an outdoor laboratory of how uh, we've gone about planning and design and implementing trails on BLM lands with a, with a great partner. And we had attendees from all over the U.S. Again, we haven't even had somebody from uh, New Zealand come to this trails lab. And uh, the engagement on just asking about how trails come about to a network of this size was really, really awesome. And, uh, you know, the Bentonville Trails Labs is, is great because uh, we have a lot of mayors, economic development committee members, uh, advocates at large come to that Trails Lab. And we, we talk about the art of the possible and uh, Gary Vernon and Kaylin Griffith and David Wright, all our, our main players there in Bentonville, interact awesome with the attendees there and are a resource for them. We've just added even more resources for Trails Labs attendees at this one in Cedar City um, with our BLM folks and others. So we're going to continue to do uh, that Trails Labs in Cedar City next year and, uh, and beyond. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was great to, to get out there. So we'll be back to Bentonville this coming spring. We got the dates set for that offhand. I don't recall the dates. I believe it's the first week in April. And then we'll be back to Cedar City in the fall. Yeah. And more broadly speaking, some of these bullet points you threw out here, you got 46 yeah. active projects, 24 of which were started in 2022. You worked in 21 states and planned 860 miles of trail, which is, that's, a, I mean, we're living in a pretty incredible time for mountain biking right now. Yeah. And you're just talking planning and design. We got another list of bullets just for construction. And out of that 860 miles of trail, we field designed 148 miles of trail. Um, that's putting a lot of shovel-ready projects on the landscape. Uh, and obviously, we're not building all that. We built 34 miles of trail this past year. Uh, so there's a lot of, of projects out there that uh, have funding to get to that point and are looking to unlock funding to go into construction, or they got funding to go into construction. Uh, and then you dive into those numbers a bit more. 18 of those 46 active projects on the plan and design side had a NICA component to it. Either we're developing a, a practice area for NICA kids, skill development, or full-on 
uh, race venue. And there's a lot of bike park stuff in there too. We're doing quite a bit of work in the municipal landscapes now, a more urban setting, the built environment of bike parks, uh, getting into really detailed CAD drawing sets for construction documents, working with engineers and lighting engineers, putting these projects out to bid that honestly, a lot of like GCs can go do the work because we're specking it out so much that uh, it's like a regular park project for infrastructure. So there's there's a lot happening. It's really, really exciting. A little stressful. Uh, we have 11 planning staff now um, doing work across the coast to coast. So I, I get to manage a lot of that. But uh, the outcomes of it put smiles on all of our faces when we see smiles on the riders uh, on those projects. Well, and you just pointed out you're building a small fraction of that. So, you know, in terms of the trail building industry, this is a huge boon to the trail building industry in terms of having different, I mean, obviously we've talked about rock salad, I think as the only other trail builder so far in this episode, but there's so many other trail builders that are or trail building contractors and companies that benefit from this stuff. Definitely. Definitely. Um, we're doing a lot of work in Utah right now around bountiful Utah, a burb of uh, Salt Lake and avid trails have been uh, building a lot of the stuff that we've been designing there. We've designed over 30 miles of trail. Uh, around Bountiful, which is really neat to see for that community. Yeah, we have a lot of other builders on, on projects happening uh, elsewhere. So feeding feeding the industry is is great. Uh, it's it's nice to see. There's not a lot of uh, trail builders out there starving for work. Obviously, it's hard to get trail builders' attention sometimes to bid on projects. Yeah. Well, and before we move on to the construction side, let's talk about you. Before we hit record, you had mentioned to me about some new numbers that came out with the Trail Accelerator Grant stuff. You yeah, know, and, yeah, and so. what that actually means in terms of like how we like, and again, I, I think I'll say this until this podcast ceases to exist, but planning, when you look at an overall project, it is such a small percentage of what an actual project costs, but unlocks so much money. It does. Uh, so trail accelerator grants, Josh, you know, you, you guys with the gateway project was one of the first rounds of tag. And we've done six rounds of tag. We're going to be announcing the awardees of round six here in the next week or so. Uh, we're going to be awarding 10 projects. Uh, but over the life of uh, these first five rounds, uh, we've awarded $450,000 in matching funds, $450,000 in matching funds for planning and design. That equates to $900,000 in deliverables. If it's a concept plan, if it's a feasibility study, it's a uh, field flagging and design, but what that $900,000 in deliverables has turned into is $12.7 million in funding unlocked because of those deliverables. So we've got $12.7 million in construction projects that have happened. That's really exciting. It's a model that's been hugely successful. Uh, we're, we, we're seeing it grow every year in the amount of applicants that we get. And uh, it puts a lot of projects out on the landscape to get implemented. Uh, so it's really rewarding to, to do that work and see things happen on a pace that maybe wouldn't have happened uh, earlier. Five, six years ago, I would have said if somebody come to me with a vision for trails and they would ask me how long is it going to take to get this on the ground, I would say it's probably five years from now. Obviously, with that Marinette County project that happened in less than a year, that's, that's atypical. But we're seeing projects being turned around in. 16, 18 months or two years um, because we're getting planning done upfront quickly 
and uh, getting funding coming into projects. Yeah. I mean, I get asked regularly, regularly on the side because of this podcast, like, how do we get trails into a community? And I'm like, you got to get a plan. And it's so like, and for a trail club to figure out a way to fund a, a solid plan. And when I mean plan, I mean, that could be master plan, but I more specifically speak on like a legit design plan that you can take and do actual, you can put out the bid, you know, you have construction documents, you got bid items, you got all that stuff. And so master plans are awesome. I, I mean, I, that's how, that's the impetus for all this stuff, but, uh, you know, we got to move beyond master plans to the actual design plan. And I mean, just yep. 10 Xing something is like a, a common thing you hear. Like that's a kind of an over the top number. And we're talking about mo- way more than 10 Xing yeah. the investment of plans into construction to get actual trail on the ground here. Yeah. We're almost 13 Xing 13 times the dollars put into planning and design has gone into construction. That's, that's pretty wild. And doing these plans, it's community engagement. We're not the consultant that pops in for a site visit and then three months later hand over a plan and say, okay, this is the way you have to do it. We rely on the community experts, the the local knowledge experts of resources and what they're looking for for trails, working with different uh, land managers and stakeholders and doing public outreach. Uh, We want to really put something on the ground that has character and means something for the community. So it's a really great way to engage via that planning process. And it could be high level feasibility, it could be a full on master plan that includes planning and design and implementation plans or components of it along the way. We can bite things off, you know, a manageable bit at a time and make our way through the process. Well, and moving on to construction, there's a couple key places you guys built that I want to touch on. One was one we had just talked about in the, in the West Virginia University series, which is Cape and State Park. With, with Thunderstruck, which is basically a modern rocky flow, not flow trail. Yeah. And then you also have, uh, I believe, a bunch more miles of bike park style trail opening up in Tennessee. So yeah. Cacapin was unique because you guys partnered with a local, uh, basically like a local civilian conservation corps to get that built. Yeah. Uh, we worked with a youth corps there. Our production rates on that were, you know, sometimes just 25 feet a day or less because we're moving a lot of big rock. And uh, we're working with builders who were training along the way, too, but really engaged the whole time during the build. We have kids coming out of that saying, I want to be a trail builder or I want to come back for another stint. But we get uh, a new group every other week. So we were there just for a mile of trail. We were there most of the summer at Cape and State Park. Uh, This is one of the state park organizations that has hoteliers in their parks and other operations going on. And West Virginia is known for the rocky nature of their trails. Uh, But here's where we were doing a lot of like rock paneling, rock features, like purpose built, purposely thought through with Joey Klein out there and Chris Orr out there working with the the youth uh, core to build this trail. It's something special. I haven't had a chance to ride yet. I've watched a lot of video, seen a lot of photos. Our web series on that project is really fun to watch and uh, working with uh, Rich Edwards uh, on, you know, just oversight of that project. Uh, really great to have our guys side by side with the, those all. Um, and it's really resonated with a lot of states out East. Have you, have you ridden Thunderstruck yet? Have you seen Thunderstruck? It's a really special project, which I know you've talked about it with the guys at West Virginia University, but turned into additional funding. Uh, over $3 million in funding for the next steps in construction at Cacapin. 
Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a ton of building projects on this show, and the amount of t- projects that Rich Edward dropped, Rich Edwards dropped, was. I mean, I didn't add everything up, but there is like going to be a serious need for building and builders in this oh, yeah. in this country. Absolutely. Um, I think there's maybe four or five uh, builders with contractors licenses in West Virginia, and uh, going to need a lot more capacity beyond that to implement all the projects that are being spun up there which is uh, there's some very cool projects happening. And then you move over to Tennessee. <laughs> I joke sometimes Tennessee is where the current arms race is for trail access. And I know you've been down there quite a bit in the past year. This project that we're talking about in Chattanooga, Tennessee is really, really exciting. Another trail accelerator grant project, uh, a Tennessee land uh, trust went out and purchased some private property. And our main trail champion there, he's not even a mountain biker, he's a kayaker, but uh, he's really enthusiastic about seeing more uh, recreation put on the the landscape around Chattanooga. We worked with the rock climbing group there because some amazing bouldering on the site of 200 plus acres. And the desire from the Sorba chapter there uh, in Chattanooga, they were wanting to see a resort style bike park being developed somewhere around Chattanooga. Uh, folks go to Windrock and other locations. They want something closer by. And uh, we started talking about how we can make that happen. And private dollars came in to fund additional design and then construction that came out of the, the TAG project. And we have 10 miles of trail there that has a, a perimeter trail that's for the climbing access, uh, for bouldering, but then bike climbing to the top. Uh, there's going to be a parking lot at the bottom, parking lot at the top to session these gravity lines. So we have five uh, gravity lines out there that range from kind of beginner flow to, uh, actually shouldn't say that, there's no beginner trails really at this property. It's lower intermediate flow and tech to some really rocky tech stuff to like full on resort style, big jumpy trail. Um, some awesome looking berms. This one berm to a rock feature adjacent to a sinkhole is just aesthetically amazing. Uh, we partnered with the McGill Trail Fabricators on this project. They're one of our subcontractors. Barry Smith was also a subcontractor on the project. And uh, some really special looking trail coming out of it. Um, got a full signage p- package ready to go. And what we're working on or what the advocates there for that property are working on is transferring this private property, privately funded bike park, to the county. and will be a public property via the county. And that should be finalized over the winter and then open to the public uh, this coming spring. So really, really cool project in that zone. Before we move on to 2023, do you, is there any projects that stick out to you in terms of construction that you really want to highlight here? Cause you have, a, I mean, we could, again, we could go on for an hour about all the places you've, you have listed here, but what sticks out to you? Yeah. You hit on two of my favorites between Kakapin and Walden's Ridge. You know, close to my second home when I lived in Colorado, Rapo Basin Ski Area. Really cool build that we've been working on for three years there. This is our third year of building. This past year, we built a loop entirely above treeline. Uh, we've been joking around. We don't know if it's for sure, but it might be the, the highest mechanized mountain bike trail build in, in North America. Um, the views are amazing. The experience is going to be spectacular. And A Basin, they go about, you know, their culture is a little bit different. Um, they're not going to lift serve any of this. You got to earn your turns, essentially. And uh, we've been building there for two years prior. 
with some really cool downhill trails. We've trained a uh, trail build crew there at Arapahoe Basin. So they were our partner in this loop that we built this year. They started at one point, we started the other. We golden spiked it at the, the end of the build season there, which comes pretty quickly up at that elevation. It was snowing on us in mid-September as we were finishing up that project. But that's going to be a really, really special experience. Yeah, I could go on and on with our other projects because we were building in Nebraska, building in Utah, building other project in West Virginia. So we'll continue doing that type of work here next year across uh, many different states. Let's move on to 2023 and maybe just throw some teasers out there for what might be on the horizon for IMBA and mountain biking in 2023, because there's a pretty long bullet point list that you provided for that as well. Yeah, yeah. We won't go into all the detail, but uh, out of our Trail Accelerator grant around for uh, round six, we're awarding projects in Illinois, Kentucky, Kansas, Maine, South Dakota. Uh, I've got a couple projects here in Wisconsin, a couple projects in West Virginia, a uh, project on Arkansas. So a uh, lot to come on high-level plans, uh, which is really neat. Part of the Trail Accelerator grant funding is from the Walton Family Foundation, from Tom and Stuart Walton. Got to give a, a shout out to that because that's really making these plans happen. And a lot of their funding is in a restricted zone of states that uh, are east of the Rockies and uh, west of any of the East Coast states that are touching the Atlantic Ocean. So it's those states in the middle there that they fund. uh, And then we have other funding that allows us to do uh, projects beyond that zone. So really impactful, like we talked about earlier. Uh, We got concept plans currently going on right now for Turner Falls State Park in Davis, Oklahoma. Really cool landscape there. They have a 70-foot waterfall. That's kind of a cascading fall, not just a direct 70-foot drop but uh, a few thousand acres of some really neat uh, landscape around that area. So we'll be getting a concept plan out uh, beginning of this year. Kicked off a project in Sandpoint, Idaho, uh, between Schweitzer Skiria and the city of Sandpoint, which is in Sandpoint's uh, drinking water watershed. There's a whole bunch of land managers in there. The city is the main landowner. We have Forest Service, BLM, Idaho State Lands, and we also have... Uh, Schweitzer ski area that has property in there. So we have a lot of partners in this project. We've had them all around one table at one time, which was pretty amazing. We did a site visit back in uh, early October. And that that's a really cool project that's going to be coming along. Uh, work in Kuchara, Colorado, old ski area that uh, was mothballed in 1999. I actually was there doing ski area planning in like 2003. And literally in there, gift shop. They had t-shirts that said ski Kuchara into Y2K and stuff covered in dust. They literally like closed it right before Christmas and just mothballed it. It's come to life again. It's tried a few times, but now uh, a local nonprofit has the property um, and then there's forest service property that surrounds it. So we're doing a concept plan there. We got stuff in Redding, California, Bonneville, Utah, Cedar City, Utah. Uh, we're doing bike park projects in Cherokee, North Carolina, Sioux City, Iowa, Frisco, Texas. Um, and then we're going to have construction coming up in Georgia, Idaho, Tennessee, Utah, more in West Virginia, maybe some more here in Wisconsin, uh, Texas, Wyoming. So 2023 is looking bright. Uh, it always is. And we're not even into the prime season for getting requests for work. That usually is like April, May, uh, which at that time might be a little bit too late. We'll be talking about 2024 already. But uh, Imba overall has been doing some great impactful work from our Marcom team doing the storytelling of all the projects that we're doing. Our government affairs group, they're having big wins right now with Bonneville Shoreline Trail, 
um, being approved legislatively at a federal level, keeping our uh, finger on the pulse for some other um, big federal moves that include the mentioning of mountain biking, uh, that uh, new monument that was established around Camp Hale and the uh, uh, 10th Mountain uh, hut system. It's been really exciting. That was really pushed along by, by IMBA. And then we got our education uh, folks doing trails labs and other aspects to what we now call trails labs is actually trail labs foundations because it sets the foundation. Trail labs is going to be now the overarching kind of title of all of our educational um, outputs. I feel super fortunate that we have someone at your caliber in our state to be helping push this stuff along. I mean, we've talked about, we talked about Wisconsin a lot early on, but this is, this is pretty awesome what we're seeing and obviously nationwide as well. So yeah, thanks Josh. I, I really appreciate all this. And I appreciate uh, that mention. Yeah, it's, it's exciting time for Wisconsin is exciting for just trail access across the U S and to be able to work in an industry that I have passion just for trail experiences from being on snow to being on dirt and everything in between. It's really uh, fulfilling to see projects get implemented and folks out on trails and to have that happening in my home state is even more fulfilling because I would joke and I've maybe had some friends and our coworkers in the DNR that uh, look at me a little bit cross when I would be super critical of the DNR after I left. Uh, but would say that Wisconsin's 20 years behind the states around them, but we're catching up and uh, we're helping other states uh, catch up also. So it's uh, really rewarding. Well, and you know what the, the good thing about that is, is that we now get to implement the latest in trail technology, as I'll call it. And there's so many learning opportunities that happened along the way that wouldn't have happened without that resistance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, we learn every time we go through a, a project um, and its process and other ways to think about it too. Like even yesterday in a meeting we had for Sandpoint, Idaho, talking about you know, what the next steps are coming out of the plan. Um, we're adding in a narrative on who you have to be partnering or who should you be partnering with to make these next steps work. Instead of just saying, go build five miles in this zone and um, work with this over here, but okay, identify the funding stream with this organization and work with these partners to make this part happen here. Because there's so many partners involved in that project, like I mentioned for Sandpoint with all those different land managers. We're doing things for the Nordic group. We're doing things for uh, just general hikers and mountain bikers. And you got to get into the specifics and the planning. Yeah. Well, Mike, is there anything you want to close with before we hit stop on the record? Josh, what you've been doing with this podcast is awesome. Um, to see it grow from Driftless Dirt to um, where you're at now and all the people that mentioned this podcast now want to travel the U.S., you're doing just as impactful stuff via this uh, avenue as we're doing from the planning, design, and construction side. So uh, I appreciate the partnership that we've had in uh, talking through projects and connecting the dots amongst uh, advocates and land managers and others. So, Really appreciate everything that you've done here. Well, thank you, Mike. That that means a lot because it's, I mean, at the end of the day, we all are in this for the same reason, right? And that's to get more trails in the ground and have high quality experiences in the forest for whatever that, whatever that means to everyone that does it, you know, different pe- people go into in the forest for different reasons and, but it's all yep. positive. So I, I really appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, 
please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners and guests who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value-for-value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect Podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Also, check out the new Trail Effect website at www.traileffectpodcast.com with effects spelled E-A-F-F-E-C-T. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and on to 2023.